There's a lot of podcasts and YouTubers out there already tearing apart various forms of media. I myself have been guilty of that. It's already oversaturated with a lot of negativity. So why don't we talk about the movies and music we love instead? This is For the Love of Media. Okay, it is now recording. <laughs> Sailing on and on and on. Into the ocean, into the sun. <laughs> Wait, how do you know that song? It's every t- every Junior Mint show. Uh, it, oh, I think that's the really? One yeah. In between. And it just get, it got stuck in my head. I wonder why he keeps playing that. I didn't because I didn't know that. I don't watch it with the audio on. So uh, I just have it on my computer <laughs> usually just to make sure it's working fine. But I, I don't live because if the audio was on, obviously it would pick up on my on my side, you know, so it'd be like, yeah, but I didn't know it was always that song. That's funny. Sailing it's on, like, and on and on and on into the ocean, into the sun. It just picks up on your like <laughs> in the bathroom and it just picks up on that's like sailing on and on and on <laughs> into the ocean, toilet. into the sun. <laughs> on the wild sea la 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 great song i love the aquabats which by the uh, way yeah. future episode will definitely be about the aquabats all for fertile of a media like nice. i'll be, um, be dropping that one in somewhere <laughs> sweet anyway so <laughs> this is our uh i guess this is our first official for for the love of media uh episode I don't know. You tell me, did we record any others? No, we did not. Well, there you go. (laughs) uh, So I guess this is the start. Um, Yeah. We're basically, uh, we're basically trading off talking about uh, different works of art and and works of media that have inspired us and that uh, continue to have a profound effect on us and the way we think, the way we feel and who we are. Yeah. So, And, uh, and also pieces of media, we just really, really love at the same time. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was given the first uh, the first turn to pick uh, to pick something that was that meant a lot to me. So I chose Guillermo del Toro's 2006 2007 movie Pan's Labyrinth. Uh, it is one of my, uh, if not my all time favorite movie, that definitely in my top five. And uh, ever since I first saw it as a teenager, it just it left a huge uh, mark on on me. The images, the story, the characters, um, all kind of inform the way I the way I view not only storytelling but but specifically fantasy and the role that it has, the role that it plays in shaping the way we perceive the the world around us. Um, and as I understand it, uh, Bosco, you've seen this you've seen this movie as well a couple of times. Yes, I uh, I own it on Blu-ray. Nice. <laughs> so I definitely like it. There were I already knew that it was a movie I liked. Uh, but I haven't watched it again. Like this was the first time I watched it in years. Um, it's just been sitting on my shelf. I watched it a long time ago. I really liked it, um, but it wasn't a movie that I've ever revisited or it had a profound effect on me in the same way it did on you, obviously. But it, it is a movie I thoroughly enjoyed and I just think it's great. And rewatching it now, like not too long ago, it made me like I was able to notice even more 
about how great this movie is. Like it truly is like, it's such a well-crafted film. And Mm -hmm. in terms of story, like you were mentioning in terms of storytelling, it's, it's just so well-written as well. It's, it's, it's all come together to make one truly solid film. Yeah, absolutely. And, um, I mean, there's many, there's many, many different ways you can, you can interpret the story. I mean, there've been multiple theories about whether or not the world that Ophelia, the fantasy world that Ophelia experiences is actually, uh, is real within the world of the, of the story itself within the the, the setting of, of Spain in 1944. Yeah. Um, apparently Del Toro himself has actually said that, yes, it, her story is supposed to be actually happening and not just in her head as, you know, a young child's way of coping with, with, with. Truly yeah. I, I heard that stuff. too. Like I was reading, cause I was reading about that too. I was curious if this fictional fantasy world was actually part of the reality or like you said, it was her coping mechanism uh, to deal with the atrocities happening around her, which obviously could be interpreted both ways, but I did read that he left little clues throughout the film uh, to show that it is in fact real like it's the reality is actually a part of it like the chalk being left mm. and you know um her stepdad yeah. finding the chalk and uh the flower blooming at the end and oh yeah, uh, there, was, yeah. there was there was another That's one there was, such a great such a great lush yeah shot. or the root and the root him finding the mandrake root and like yeah. crushing it up mm-hmm. all that it there were just these little hints that he left throughout to give the impression that this was real and it was actually happening. Yeah. But I personally do like the idea that it is a because I like the idea of analogies and metaphors with fantasy because fa- that's basically what fantasy is usually used most of the time when it's uh, intercepting with reality in a movie. They use it as a tool to represent somebody's own personal psyche, like what's going on and their coping uh, mechanisms with it. Kind of like you ever see Bridge to Terabithia? Uh, not the movie, but I remember, I think I read this, the, the book a long, long time yeah, ago. Yeah, I, I saw yeah. the movie, which by the way, uh, what a shocking twist that I didn't expect. They didn't sell it as such a dark movie. <laughs> uh, oh yeah. <laughs> Who, how was I supposed to know halfway through she just dies? Like, yeah. Um, but, but like I, the fantasy, like the fantasy elements in that movie, they used it to you know, as a coping mechanism uh, or as like an escapist reality for those kids or even, did you ever see the, now, now I'm just starting to think of all these movies that use that tool. Like, uh, did you see like heavenly creatures? Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. So that, that's another thing. movie I'll never forget. <laughs> that uh, was, that was a great one. Peter Jackson, by the way. Ooh, mm-hmm. man. Um, yeah. Kate Winslet's first uh, breakout role, I think. Yeah. Yeah. Before she became yeah. a big star. And surprisingly enough, uh, the girl who was on uh, the woman who was on uh, two and a half men, which I was shocked about. I was like, what? <laughs> I was like, wait, 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 wait. Well, who was on, which of the, them was on two and a half men? Well, not Kate Winslet, the other one. Well, yeah. Okay. I, <laughs> I think we would have remembered if she was, she'd been on two and a half. Yeah. Men, yeah. No, oh, yeah I, she played Rose, the neighbor, which yeah. I didn't even know she was from New Zealand. I didn't know she had. Oh an my God. That blows my mind. I know. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> They oh. completely, I unrecognizable. Yeah, well, from that, the two. That, that that actress got chops, man. I would never have guessed that that she was the same, the same person who played that young woman in, in, and in uh, the creatures. Another movie oh, 
there was another movie I was thinking about too, as I was watching it, that also does the whole fantasy world as a representation of person set, but I can't for the life of me, I can't remember what it was, but there was another movie that I was thinking about. Hopefully it will come to me. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, should we give like a brief summation? Of yeah, go ahead. Go for ahead. those who haven't seen it. So yeah. basically, so uh, Pan's Labyrinth takes place uh, in Spain during 1944, about sort of, five years after the Spanish Civil War, when Franco's just come, in, come into power. And uh, it centers around a young girl named Ophelia, whose, uh, whose mother has just gotten married to a, uh, a really brutal and violent and uh, sociopathic um, fascist leader in the, in the regime, Captain Vidal, who is hunting down uh, the rebels uh, in, in the region, the anti-Franco rebels in the region. And uh, she's pr- and her mother is, uh, is pregnant with... Um, with a second child, with uh, uh, Ophelia's brother. And she has to cope with, she, she's stuck in a very, um, a very desolate environment where, you know, nobody listens to her and nobody, she's sort of in, left invisible in the way that, that children are in, in, in these scenarios, particularly in, in wartime scenarios. Um, and she is introduced to this, strange fantastical world where she learns that she is the uh not the the, the resurrected uh princess but sort of a, a another vessel for the soul of a long lost princess yeah um who is destined to to claim to take back her kingdom and rule it once again she meets uh she meets a magical fawn who uh basically informs her of this her true identity and sets her on a quest to uh, to recover, to base, basically sort of find her way back to her, her true world. And um, along the way, she's faced with a bunch of different uh, ethical and moral conundrums yep. uh, that kind of reflect the way that, that kind of reflect what the movie is, is, is really about in the end, which is. Yeah. And is, that's, that's the thing. I didn't realize that until I was uh, reading about it afterwards, how the trials she goes through are, actually representative of feelings that she was having at the time. So like mm. the, the toad in the tree, like was representative of her feelings towards how her unborn brother was like killing her mother. So like the toad was like the unborn brother and mm. the tree that was dying was like her mother. And she wanted yeah. to go in and save the tree uh, in the same vein that she wanted to save her mother. So I was like, mm-hmm. Oh, that makes sense now. Cause yeah. I was always like, that's such an odd trial. And then I'm like, no, no, that now that makes sense. <laughs> yeah. And also it, it, it's also analogous to how the, fa- the, the, the fascist rulers of the region are basically starving the rebels yeah. out of, uh, out of existence. You know, they have all this, they've, they've rationed all this food and they're keeping it all to themselves. And, the rebels are basically just like kind of, you know, languishing in the woods without, without anything to, to sustain themselves. So mm-hmm. it's also, it kind of just, it just kind of works on, on multiple levels, uh, yeah. which is just fantastic. And also um, when she's going to, uh, you know, into the pale man's room oh, and yeah. trying to get the key, right. Because uh, as we find out in the r- real world, it, the key is essential to, getting the food for all the rebels that are hiding in the woods. Right. right. Yeah. And so her, she's trying to get the key, which is analogous to the, um, what's her name? The, the nanny. She, 
Mercedes? Yes, Mercedes. Sure. Uh, yeah. try, I was thinking Maria for some reason. I knew it was an M name. Uh, Mercedes, like get it, having the spare key, right? Like to to feed her brother who's in the woods with everyone mm-hmm. else. Uh, and the pale man is representative of the Dal, her stepdad, who is always on the verge of possibly hurting her in a really bad way, right? Mm-hmm. So, and it, it's just it's just so. I think incorporating those elements as a fantasy world is such a great tool to use because it comes into the whole show don't tell thing that uh, a lot of movies uh, seem to fall um, victim to, right? The word Mm -hmm. though, instead of, instead of representing it in this like fantastical way for the audience to be immersed in, they always tend to have exposition, which will just be the character being like, blah, 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 blah. And I think (laughs) um, incorporating these fantasy elements into it with like this fairy tale B plot is such a great way to go because not only does it make it more interesting and more immersive, but it, it gives you more, um, a better look into the psyche of Ophelia and exactly. what she's going through and how she's yeah. feeling. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And uh, it's just, she's such a, the more I, I mean, I, I, I've always, there's always certain characters that I've, I, I've loved in, the, in this movie a lot, Mercedes, Dr. Yeah. Ferrero, and how they both kind of work together to, to sort of aid what they, they, what they feel might be a lost cause, but they still have to, they still have to help these rebels anyway, because it's, they know it's the right thing to do. But looking back on it again, and I, I just, this is probably one of the best movies that's ever, uh, that's, this is one of the best examples of like how to write a good child protagonist Yes, because she is, she is at once, she's, she's weak and vulnerable in certain ways, but she's, she's very, she's strong in others. She's, you know, she's canny. She's discerning. She, you know, right away, she sort of doesn't really trust the fawn fully. Like she knows that he's not, she knows that he's not entirely benevolent. And of course he reveals that he's in his way. He's kind of a sort of a sinister uh, trickster figure trying to guide her into basically. Yeah. Doesn't he, um, he say at one point, he's like, I'm not good or evil. Yeah. Like he, I just am kind of thing. But to be fair, I mean, if you were walking in the woods and you stumbled upon this fawn, would you trust him? He doesn't seem like no. he's such a creepy looking fawn. Yeah. I, no, if probably anything, not. Yeah. If anything, I'm shocked she didn't run away screaming. Cause if I was a kid, when I was a kid, that's what I would have done. If I just saw that, I would have been terrified and ran away. Oh, me too. I would have <laughs> I booked it. Uh, He's got to work on this. He's, he's got to work on his presentation a little. <laughs> just just a little. Hey, yeah. which, uh, fun but she's, fact, the actor that plays the fawn, who's David Jones, I believe. The he, Doug Jones. The great Doug, Doug Jones. Jones. Yes, sorry. Yeah. I was, man, I'm close with these names. I get the first letter right. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Doug Jones, who is a great, fantastic character actor, has played in so many movies, playing all kinds of creatures and uh mystical beings uh because he's a very good like uh, physical actor um apparently he couldn't speak a word of spanish so he had mm. to learn all his lines phonetically and 
like speak it phonetically and also had to learn everyone else's lines phonetically so yeah. he can know when to say his lines and the cues. So I just think that's so wild that he was literally sitting there having no idea what he's saying, what anyone else is saying, but here he yeah. is saying it and acting it out. And that's a true testament to his acting skills because oh, yeah. he like nailed it. Like that's knocked it out of the park with that one because that the fawn character is easily the most creative character out of all of them that's mm. there and despite being this completely otherworldly being it, it's it's full of life you know what i mean yeah he, that's yeah. Oh, that's what i want to say the fawn character is just so full of life in terms of how you know despite being full of all prosthetics and makeup and elaborate costuming it's he just he just brought so much to it yeah no i mean doug jones is an absolutely wonderful talent and a treasure and i mean he's just he's done so many done so many projects with guillermo del toro i think he was the well he was the fish creature in the shape of water as well yep. uh abe sapien and in, in hellboy just yep. a lot of there's so many different he's, weird he's and wild characters creatures in, he played fish creatures in two different movies <laughs> yeah uh, it's, it's just I, I can't even imagine I, I can't even wrap my head around trying to learn trying to learn lines for a character in a in a language that I don't even that I'm not in which I'm not fluent yeah. at all and having to learn them phonetically and 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 how do you like how you would like figure out your in, like your intentions with each line and nail them even while yeah. you're you're conversing in a language that's completely alien to you is is beyond me so major props to him for that yeah. super and, uh, just a hard worker all around which by the way funny and, story it made me think of this i read about this thing where this guy he won a scrabble competition by memorizing the French dictionary, like all the words in the <laughs> French dictionary, but not learning how to speak an ounce of French. Oh my God. <laughs> so, it's, so he knew the words and what they sounded like, but he didn't like no, register he just knew their how to meaning. Spell really. them. <laughs> he just knew, he knew how to spell them. He knew they were words, but he didn't know what the words were. Ah. Uh. Oh so it just God. that's talk that's, about uh, dedication to not learning a language seriously <laughs> but also kind of learning it at the same time it's yeah. yeah uh that's very odd yeah but i mean and getting back to doug jones i mean i mean he was most of his scenes i think were with ivana Baquero, the, the actress who plays uh ophelia and yeah. i think she she gave him a lot to a lot to work with too like just her performance is just so strong and so convincing. Which and it's it's hard to find really good child actors. Like, yeah. honestly, finding one who can give a performance that strong is really difficult. And not to say that children are bad actors. No, it's not. It's, it's not that. It's just finding one who's at that level is mm -hmm. what's difficult. Yeah, someone who's able to portray that, like that much, that much complexity, that much gentleness and conviction at, at the same time. Um, yeah, she's truly, uh, she's, she's, she's truly remarkable talent. I'm not sure what she's done uh, since then, but uh, she, I, I was looking up her IMDb. Her. Yeah, I was looking up her IMDb. She hasn't done like a lot, a lot. 
Oh yeah, she was on the uh, so she was on one TV show that was pretty well known, uh, the Shannara Chronicles. Oh which, yeah, 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 I could see that. Yeah, and High Seas, which I've heard of. Hmm. So yeah, she's doing well for herself. <laughs> oh great, that's wonderful. I think yeah, so. yeah, yeah, this and also definitely... back to back to Doug Jones. He also plays the mm-hmm. Pale Man. Yes. Oh my God. Which is that's... just the creepiest most disturbing character in this movie and one of the most yeah one of the most terrifying uh movie villains uh put to screen in recent years i mean except for of course kept hit him and captain vidal i think are yeah. both are equally kind of uh just nightmarish in their own way yeah and they're because I mean, like of course because captain vidal is real i mean there have been many many uh you know monsters like him yeah uh, well, yeah, that's really the difference, right? Because uh, the Pale Man is very creepy in a very fantastical way, but yeah, it's very, is very dreamlike way. in a very realistic way. Mm-hmm. Uh, and like, kudos to that actor because Vidal mm. is—he gives a stunning performance. Like, he, you believe this guy is just a pure psychopath. Yeah. He has no empathy for anyone. Like that scene, oh man, that scene where they catch the two farmers who oh. are just out rabbit hunting and he just brutally destroys this one guy's face. Oh, it, and then just the reveal that they were just hunting rabbits like they said mm-hmm. they were. I was like, oh my God, like this is so, oh my and then, God. And then he just he blames the other soldier for not searching them properly, like it's yeah. his fault. What a dick. Uh, yeah, that that yeah, that that's just that scene is always like I mean, I hadn't seen this movie in, in years, so I knew I I didn't really um I had I didn't remember that that scene was coming. Right. But even the first time I saw it, that that moment of of that moment of brutality where he smashes the guy's nose and it always it always just catches me off guard with how sudden it is. Yeah. But how, but he, he shows his true colors right away, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Like there's no doubt, but even from the beginning when he meets Ophelia and she goes mm -hmm. to shake his hand and right away, he's like, it's the wrong hand, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I'm like, Oh my God. Like right away, you know, he's a dick. (laughs) Yeah. Oh, you know, he's uh, yeah. You know, he's an asshole right away. Yeah. And his obsession with having a son too. Oh yeah. Yeah. And Ophelia's mother is basically just, you know, she's just a, ve- a vessel to carry his future heir. Ugh. Yeah. Ugh. Just doesn't it's care just about her. So like the line he tells the doctor, ugh. if you, if you have to save the boy and kill her, you know, like save the boy. Yeah. If you have to choose, save him. Yeah. Yeah. It's God. so like it's so disgusting. Yeah, but yeah, it's but, so rewarding at the end when he gets caught by the rebels and he's holding his son and he tells them, can you please let my son know what time his father died? And she's just like, your son will never know about you. And yeah. it's so satisfying. So mm-hmm. satisfying. Even before when uh, even before when he has Mercedes, uh, his Mercedes tied up and he's about to torture her. Yeah. And she fucking like, she fucking like has a knife concealed and she like loosens herself. We should probably, uh, by the way, we should probably put a, a little thing at the beginning of the episode for spoilers. In oh. case people <laughs> haven't seen this, haven't seen I, this movie. I know. I but, feel like, um, I feel like that should just be a given that we yeah. spoil it, but I'll, I'll include that in the little description. Okay, good. Yeah. Just so no one's. Yeah. 
and the, just that scene where she's uh, she stabs him and then gives him a half of a Glasgow smile is just I actually actually kind of I'm I had I actually kind of had to go back and watch that again because it just <laughs> mm, it's just I, so <laughs> cathartic to see that after just seeing him be like yeah the sadistic I always knew you were sadistic psychopath. No, but like it is, <laughs> it is justice. It is, it is a kind of like, especially since the whole movie, we're wondering what kind of universe this is. You know, is yeah. this a universe where any sort of moral justice is, 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 and will be served? And there's some, I think that moment is, is that moment along with the moment at the very end where Ophelia refuses, the fawn asks Ophelia to sacrifice her baby brother to open up the, uh, the, the portal to the other world that she refuses. Yes. That moment in particular is just, that is the, that is the keystone of what the, what the whole thing is really about. Mm-hmm. Because when you're living under fascism, you have only two choices. You can either submit to the regime or you can disobey and yeah. you can take the, you can, you know, take the risk of getting tortured or killed, but you can you have the choice to disobey because you know that it's the right thing to do and ophelia's whole journey is centered around knowing when to knowing when to follow authority and knowing when to go against it yes and it's the whole like that is a that's a journey that we all to we all to certain extents follow even though we're not living in such, we don't necessarily live in such an extremely uh, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? We don't live in an in, in such an extremely immediately violent uh, surroundings yeah. as as those, but um, it it's still a, it, it's still an important thing to consider. I think. Yeah, this, and- this is a, one of the best. It's probably one of the greatest anti-fascist films ever created, and many people have said that. Yeah, for sure, because it's it's also an interesting in contrast to let's say like Vidal's character who's very much like obey 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 right yeah and she's representative of uh, the disobedience of the fascist regime like you were saying where it's more important to do what you feel is right than do what you're told and Mm -hmm. that's why because even if she because there is I do think part of her would want to harm her little brother just because of all the pain he's brought to yeah. her you know he the mom died because of him uh just yeah the fawn even says at one point like this kid has caused you nothing but misery throughout this whole thing yeah and then also just symbolically what it represents you know with vidal and his control over her and right. over her family yeah. um but she chooses not to because she's like this is an innocent baby it's not you know it's not his fault i'm not gonna harm somebody else because then i'm kind of no better than everyone else kind of thing and Mm -hmm. we know that she ends up getting rewarded for that because at the end they say hey you wanted to give up your own blood in place of an innocent's blood and that's what makes you like the princess and welcome in the kingdom Mm mm-hmm it's just a wonderful, I mean, that's why I'd like to, I would like to believe, and I'm glad that Del Toro supports the, my interpretation that the fantasy yeah. is, is substantial and 
exists within the reality of, of the film and not just, you know, in Ophelia's mind. Um, because it does, I mean, I, <laughs> maybe it's, I don't know, maybe I just need to believe that there's some, <laughs> there's some hope in this dark and desolate universe. <laughs> well, there's, I'm sure there's some somewhere out there. <laughs> yeah. There's yeah. a light at the end of the tunnel, right? Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. Right. <laughs> right. <laughs> um, and, and speaking of dark, I love how dark this movie is in terms oh, yeah. of uh, the fairy tale aspect because I have always really been into sort of dark children's stories and dark mm-hmm. uh, fairy tales. And to see this rep- like a fairy tale, but almost for adults in an, mm. in an adult oriented film is just so great. Like I it love is. that. I love, love, love that because fairy tales are not just for kids. You know, no, they're not. They're, they're, they're for all of us. They're the oldest, they're the oldest form of storytelling that we have. And they yeah. speak to something really primordial. I mean, that's the other, I mean, that, 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 that's the other reason why I love this film too, because it's, it completely, you know, and it, because we have very, um, we still kind of have very specific notions about what fantasy is and who it's for yeah. as a genre. And this movie, I think completely crash course film criticism gave a really good summation of it. It is not only a film about disobedience, it's a disobedient film in and of itself mm. because it completely uh, re it, it just completely subverts the, the traditional idea of who we think fantasy is for. We think it's only for kids. We think it's just an escape. Yeah. Uh, from the harsh realities of the world. But really, it's just another way of of processing those realities and talking about them and, you know, giving us kind of a moral framework of how to how to operate and how to how to how to treat with uh, each other, our, yeah. our fellow human beings and non-humans. And it's just uh, it's just a wonderful kind of uh you know, to just a wonderful sort of rebellious little subversion against <laughs> genre distinctions that, uh, yeah. yeah, is really quite wonderful to see. And it, it's it's funny, too, because if anything, this sort of fairy tale is more like the original fairy tales, because the original mm-hmm. fairy tales were very dark, very gruesome. The yeah. Children in those stories always ended up dead at the end of like most yeah. of them. And it's only coming into like the 21st century that they started to have these like fairy tale, happy endings that we know today. But the original fairy tales were not that light. Well, they were nothing like that. Yeah. Nothing at no. all. They were quite, uh, yeah, they, they were quite twisted in, in their own way. Um, yeah, which I prefer I think, those. I love those. <laughs> yeah. I think those are, I think, I think they're coming back. I think those are, they're making a comeback. Yeah. Which, and, oh, by uh, the way, I wanted to pitch this to you, see what you think. Um, okay. As a possible uh, third show that we could do. Okay. Uh, I was thinking about this and this ties in perfectly with this. Would you be down to do radio style shows, but it's all dark, twisted fairy tales? Yes. Oh, my God. Yes, I would love that. Okay, so Uh, uh, you heard it here, folks, the genesis of this idea right here. (laughs) It's kind of like a kind of like a radio version of like 
maybe the Twilight Zone, but with but purely fantasy and, and yes, dark yeah, and fairy it, tales. Dude, okay, exactly I'm what I was thinking. I'm sold. I love. I'm a huge yeah. fan of anthology, and we can have like, like that, so. a narrator character, you know, just to get the narration parts, and we'll do all like the different voices of the characters and everything. Like I was thinking about uh, this in the car last night because I was thinking of Pan yeah. Labyrinth and how it's like a dark fairy tale, and I was mm-hmm. like, I love that kind of stuff, and I how fun would it be to do it? And I know you love the dark and the macabre and, and mm-hmm. the twisted and the warped just as much as I do. And it would just oh, yeah. be so perfect. <laughs> and both of us love doing stupid voices too. So <laughs> it just, it just, I was really like, what, it, uh, what, what, what gave you that idea? <laughs> I don't know, man. What did give me that idea? <laughs> as long as we don't pull out the whitey voice for fun. Uh, no, <laughs> <I think laughs> no, we don't no want need people- to, no need to subject our poor listeners' ears to that. Uh, that yeah, yeah, they don't need their ears to bleed <laughs> in any way, shape, or form. <laughs> so, um, yeah. just back to the beginning of this whole uh, of what we were talking about, because you started talking about how it has impacted you, and mm-hmm. this was a movie that really shaped the way that uh, you tell stories and the way you see storytelling. So I was wondering, yeah. would you be able to like, just like get into more specifics, like elaborate on like what, yeah. like what specifically and all that. So, yeah, I guess, um, like I said, it, it changed my, it, it, it's well not changed, but it's sort of, cause I always felt this in, in, in my heart, even, even when, uh, wait, did you say in your even, heart on? In my heart. Oh yeah. That's a, <laughs> sorry. I felt this in my heart even before, uh, even bef- before this movie kind of cemented that I'm just, for me, but I'm, just, I'm always, I'm just thinking like, cause I heard hard on it. Yeah. Anyways. <laughs> um, anyway. So I always, oh, as I've been saying now, I have to re- retread. I'm um, so sorry. Oh, uh, it's okay. As I was saying, uh, yeah. So I mean, uh, I talked briefly about how it it impacted my my view of fantasy, but it really it was it was sort of a reaffirmation of um, everything that the genre can do and everything that it can everything that it still has to teach us. Even though we think that we we stop needing these kinds of stories once we grow up, once we become adults, that's sort of the traditional view anyway. Yeah. But um, and I, I think there is a certain I mean I think there's a certain kind of arrogance the belief that we no longer need. We no longer need myth or metaphor or fairy tales once we reach a certain age and we get out into the real world. But that's a whole other other thing. But this movie sort of it it told me that it told me that there is a space for 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 stories like that. Yeah. Um, and also just the way that it goes about um, expounding on these ideas of disobedience and, and moral choice, because there are many there are many, many stories that take place, you know, during wartime uh, and during and, and in fascist regimes. But I don't think there has been one that has articulated those and, and dramatized those ideas of like, what do you do when what do you do when you're in such an extreme situation and you're pushed to your limits? Yeah. And you, you know, you're faced with literally you're faced with literally life or death. And, you know, both of the choices that you're presented with are kind of, are kind of ethically troubling. And what, what do you do? What do you do when you're, you're, what do you do when your back is against the wall like that? 
Um, that is- I think probably the scene that impacted me the most the second time around, uh, the yeah. second time watching it was the scene with uh, with Doctor Ferrero and the uh, and the rebel that was kidnapped, the, the stuttering. Oh rebel. yeah, oh that he- dude, I didn't even remember that scene at all. And re like watching it, I that scene just gave me chills. It's such a, I mean, that could be like a, that could almost be a short film on its own. What he chooses to, what he chooses to do, the way he chooses to, to, to euthanize this poor sap who's been tortured beyond all recognition and, and why he, and why he does it, you know, his, his line where he's, Vidal is just so, he just, he just seems so like, more baffled than anything else of like, why didn't you do what I told you to do? Why didn't you just obey? Yeah. And what he says to him so calmly and so powerfully is to obey just for the sake of obeying without questioning, without, you know, without a second thought, that's something only men like you can do. Yes. Oh, I was thinking when I was talking about, my point before I was thinking of that exact quote, like it's such a good one. Yeah. It's just, yeah, that I think it just, and I, 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 it's sort of, I I realized only now that it's sort of impacted the way I, my, my fondness for reading and writing stories about characters that are faced with these kinds of, with these kinds of extreme dilemmas. Right. And because I often wonder, you know, what would I, I, I love stories that, that, that present those kinds of scenarios because it makes you wonder, you know, what would I do if I were in this situation? Right. Which and it just, now that you mentioned that I could see that in like your works, like I'm thinking of like a bunch of plays <laughs> that I've written that you've, uh, that I've written, that you've written, that I've read. <laughs> um, so yeah, a bunch of your plays that you've written where that's basically the crux of a lot of them. There's this huge, moral dilemma and there's two people from both sides butting heads with each other trying to figure out who is right in this situation and it usually tends to be neither of them are right but neither of them are wrong either they're Mm -hmm. just both victims of this moral dilemma right yeah 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 they're sort of uh both uh both sides have their own kind of perspective on, on it based on their own life experiences and but none of them are really yeah neither of them are really uh right or wrong and it's sort of up to the audience to decide which of them Mm -hmm. uh which of them they they sort of agree with the most and yeah it's uh it's it's really the first movie i think that that sort of brought that home to me of oh yeah this is the kind of thing that this is the sort of thing that interests me as a writer this is the kind of story that i want to that i want to tell in in a myriad of different ways (laughs) um yeah. And of course, fantasy is fantasy is one way of doing that. Historical drama is, is one way of doing that. Uh, there's many different ways of, of getting at the, this kind of truth, which, yeah. you know, which is that what makes us interesting is our contradictions. And uh, those contradictions really come out when uh, our, our humanity is put to the test. The, the higher you put the stakes, the more intriguing it is, right? Mm-hmm. Because if you're putting exactly. characters with almost no stakes whatsoever and the choice they need to make is like bland and boring and innocuous, it, <laughs> obviously it's not going to make for a very engaging story. And th- I, I do think now that you said it, that's 
is a big part of why this movie is so intriguing is mm-hmm. because Ophelia is faced with this incredibly, and you see her struggling with it too throughout the entire film. She's yeah. always quiet and to herself. She doesn't, mm-hmm. she doesn't want to cause waves, but at the same time, she doesn't want to obey. So she, she's always caught in this, this sort of middle ground, unsure what to do. And it's not till the end of the movie where she finally says, no, I'm not obeying. Yeah. Which, ends up in her death it's, but it's it's very relatable because i think most yeah. of us are where she is for most of the movie kind of suspended in between the states of, of of obeying and rebelling and having to figure out for ourselves which to which is the best mm-hmm. course of action which is uh you know it's it's part of the it's part of why being human is so messy yeah <laughs> and, and it, it's funny because i did find myself as the film was playing asking myself well what would be the right thing to do here mm-hmm. I, I was questioning it too i was sitting there being i don't know what i do that that's such a difficult decision i could do this thing but oh no wait that could mean i'll either be killed or tortured but then i could do this thing but then i'm harming a bunch of people well, what do i do yeah yeah it's uh ah <sighs> It's tough. It's really tough, but it's, it's, uh, but it's just, uh, it's so satisfying to kind of, uh, to go up against that. I don't know. Yeah. And by the way, I remembered which movie I was thinking about. Oh yeah. Uh, and you're going to love this. Uh, it was Brazil. I was thinking of Brazil. (laughs) Oh, Brazil. Oh my God. Which kind of faces very similar themes, right? Because Mm -hmm. he's stuck in the bureaucratic world and he gets lost in his daydreams of escapism. And then when finally given the chance to escape and go on this adventure with this woman he's been daydreaming about, uh, it ends up like in his, you know, demise. Yeah. And it's all in his, uh, isn't it all, isn't that a movie where the, the, the grand escape is all in his head. Yeah, it's all in his it head, was, but he does, like, the stuff he was daydreaming about does sort of become a reality mm-hmm. because he joins uh, the woman and Robert De Niro's character who are just... They're right, they're both all, underground. Uh, yeah, and they're the against resistance. the bureaucratic world, which he falls under with them, and that's why he ends up, you know, with his final doom <laughs> yeah that's right i think I, I remember reading somewhere that terry gilliam got the inspiration for that movie when he was thinking about he was he was trying to figure out what kind of story would have someone going someone basically going insane as a happy ending <laughs> and i was like that's that's good yeah wow. and yeah it's it's, it's I it's mean, an interesting proposition. This is a debate for a future episode because we both love Brazil. So I wouldn't be surprised. We'll bring it up at some point. Yeah. Um, so we should probably save that for that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, for sure. <laughs> so uh, uh, any final thoughts on Pan's Labyrinth? Um, it was a great movie then. It's a great movie now. Um I'll probably still be thinking about it for a long, long time. Yeah. Uh, because of all the, all the things that we've, that we've covered today. Um, and yeah, I, I, uh, I know that Guillermo del Toro's done, made some great movies since then. I'm sure he'll continue to, uh, I'm sure he'll continue to impress us and, mm-hmm. uh, and 
you know, terrify us in, in many different or different ways. Um, but I think this <laughs> he movie, definitely I think, he definitely has his own style when it comes to those fantastical slash horror elements because he he really makes his fantasy horrifying it's not yeah it's not he's in no way saying oh let's uh let's make this look fun and joyous like disney style fairy tales right it's yeah. he's very much no i'm gonna i'm gonna scare the shit out of kids with this <laughs> <laughs> yeah and i think that uh I think that with it, I, I think that with everything he's done, even in the mm-hmm. even with some fantastic movies like, uh, you know, like The Shape of Water and, and so forth, I think this movie will probably stand the test of time as as, as his masterpiece. I oh. think it's his most uh, it's his most challenging movie. It's his most uh, it's his most complex movie. It's his most uh, daring movie in many respects. Yeah. And uh, I think it's a it's just a it's a great, great 20, early 21st century work of art. And it, Yo, one, it'll stand as such. For 100%. And I also heard that because this was such an important film for him that he mm. wanted to make. And he he really had to make huge sacrifices to make sure not only the movie got made, but it got made how he wanted it to get made. Because, you know, studio mm. interference will always but in trying to change certain things and mm-hmm. that of yeah. course happened to him. And he, I think he even got like a huge pay cut or, or even got paid very little to make this movie just so it could get made. And he said to this day, he's never regretted that decision at all. Mm. Like he hasn't like he, because the film got made the way he wanted it to get made and it was a huge success and he's proud of it and he should be proud of it because um, yeah, like rewatching it gave me another, like a newfound love for this film because Mm. I I didn't share this, but the first time I saw this film uh, I was like 14 years old at day camp. They were showing us this film at day camp. Yeah, I know. I know. And I wasn't really paying attention too much because I was joking around with my friends and it was so funny. There was like these, you know how, because we're all four, we're all teenagers. And there's like, there were these other annoying kids, like sitting not far away from us. Like one guy, he had like a girlfriend and they were like the cool kids. And I used that in quotations and we were like uh, okay. the nerdy <laughs> outcast kids, you know? Mm-hmm. And they kept making fun of us and they were acting all cool, which was funny because the guy Uh, I, you know, he's because I went to that camp for years and years and years. He was there at the camp like every year. He used to like sit in the corner of a hallway with his pinky in his mouth, just sucking on it. And I'm like, if I'm like, dude, like you have no right to say what's cool and what's not cool. Okay. (laughs) And I'm not saying that like in a bad way. I'm just saying like, don't act all like high and mighty. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like have a little humility when with that. Uh, But either way, my point is, uh, (laughs) sorry, long tangent. So we are watching the movie. Uh, I wasn't paying attention because I ended up writing the word penis on another guy's arm. And (laughs) nice. Yeah, I know. (laughs) And and when it came to the part where she Mercedes cuts Vidal's mouth, Mm -hmm. 
the camp counselors freaked out. Oh, <laughs> All the man. kids freaked out. We were like, whoa, whoa. And the camp counselors was like, whoa. And they like ran and they like started fast forwarding through it. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 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 so that's my bit. And I never saw the ending. It Like, oh, camp's done. And they cut right like when right before she was bringing her the brother to uh, the fawn. So I never right. saw the ending until like oh. years later. And I'm like, I finally get to see the ending. Finally. Uh, but yeah, <laughs> so I haven't seen it like a lot. And when I did mm. finally see it fully, I really enjoyed it. But mm. it wasn't until I rewatched it for this that I really loved it. Like, mm. and I'm happy that you suggested it so I could rewatch it and revisit it and be like, holy crap. Like I've been, I've, you know, been sitting on this movie uh, for years, not watching it. And it's so fucking good. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's so good. Oh, I'm glad I could, uh, I'm glad I could rekindle a passion for, for you. And, and, and that. That's, yeah. uh, well, that's the beauty of this, right? Because we'll be suggesting media for each other and there's going to be things you haven't uh, experienced and things I haven't experienced. And I think that's going to be great. We're going to discover a lot of new things too, like this. Yeah, I think so too. It's uh, I'm excited to see what we, what we unearth in ourselves in the next few, uh, the next few episodes or so. Oh boy. Do I have a great one for our next episode? Oh man. So I get uh, to pick. So I'm picking the next episode for the love of media. And the movie I have picked is airplane, 1980s (laughs) airplane. Uh, Comedy classic. (laughs) Yeah. So that's the one we'll be talking about. That's a movie that has always been my number one and super important to me in my life. So I'm excited to talk about that. Nice. Yeah. I'm sure we're going to have a, I'm sure we're going to have a lot of laughs. (laughs) (laughs) It's going to be just one nonsense podcast for an hour. Yep. Just, just throwing, throwing jokes and gags at the wall and (laughs) And seeing what six, which is essentially Zucker Abraham Zucker trio. That's essentially what their style of comedy was. So (laughs) yeah, basically. Yeah. (laughs) So until next time I am Bosco. And I am Vish, Vishesh or Vishi. <laughs> and this was Vishi and Bosco do a podcast for the love of media. We'll see you next time. See you next time. Take care. Bye. 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 Bye.